0: Hey, this is Britt Vargas, and I am the High School Ministry Associate Director at Calvary Community Church here in Westlake Village, California, and this is our HSM podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out today. I hope this encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. All right, as you grab a seat, uh, I know some of you are new or newer, or maybe I've not been here for a bit, but I'm, my name is Brian Howard. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and glad to be with you tonight. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now uh, and open up to Luke chapter 1. You can have a physical hard copy of the Bible or on your phone, whatever's best for you. And we're going to kick off tonight a new teaching series, a new set, a set of messages we'll do, uh, entitled here, and we'll put the title up on the screen, entitled Between Two Advents. So between the advent of Jesus that we talk about, this Advent, season where Jesus came in the first time, and the second advent or the second coming of Jesus when he returns again, that we live in between those two times. And tonight I want to focus on the first time. I want to focus on that first Christmas. And here's what I want you to understand about that first Christmas. Um, The temptation with that first Christmas is to be so fooled by the lights that we put up, the decorations, the wonderful sort of spirit that happens this time of year, is to believe even for a moment um, that that first Christmas was this really wonderful, bright, merry, joyful time, because it wasn't. I want you to understand tonight that that first Christmas was not a bright and joyful and merry time. I want you to understand that during that time, the people of God had not heard from God in over 400 years. There was an oppressive empire, the Roman Empire, that was crushing them under their feet. People were being taxed and killed and destroyed and kept from their freedoms. This was a brutal time. It was a hard time. It was a dark time in human history and a dark time in the history of the people of God. And yet, right in the middle of that darkness, just like we see it gets very dark and these Christmas lights shine out, the light begins to shine through in Jesus Tonight, as we kick off our Christmas series, I want us to understand that the Christmas story is fundamentally about the light coming into the darkness and the hard things in our life. And tonight, I want to try to answer a simple story, and it's this one. How can we, how can we have hope in the midst of hard seasons? That's the question I want to try to answer tonight. And I'm going to answer that question. But uh, tech people, can we turn off this fog machine so I don't die up here? That would be um, real nice. Um, but here's the question tonight. How can we have hope in the middle of a hard season? How can we have hope? And when I say a hard season, here's what I know. Some of you hear that immediately and you go, that's me. I'm going through a hard season right now. Some of you know you're going through a hard season right now. You know that things are tough at home or tough with your friends or tough with your relationships. Things have just been difficult at school. You're going through a hard season. And here's what I'm convinced of. If you are going through a hard season, God has brought you here tonight because he has something to say to you. Like the Holy Spirit of God has something to say to you. But then some of you are going to hear my voice right now and go, "I'm not going through a hard season. Things are actually pretty good for me right now. Life is awesome right now. I'm not going through a difficult season." And if that's the case, here's what's so wonderful: sometimes you get go to church to get a message for you, and sometimes you go to church to get a message that goes through you to someone else who needs to hear it. Because here's what I promise you: if you are not going through a hard season right now, someone you know is, and that someone might be the person on your right, or the person on your left. A person in your small group, a brother, a sister, someone at your school, someone you know is going through a hard time. And here's what I want you to see tonight. We, ha- we can have hope in the midst of that hard time, and I want you to see that here in this story. So again, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible in front of you, but it says this. It says, in the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. So let's pause two main characters in the story we're going to look at today there is a man named Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth they're married they've been married for a long long time these are the two main characters we got Zachariah we got Elizabeth verse 6 it says both of them were righteous in the sight of God observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly but and that's what every good story starts with right Like every good story starts with there was this wonderful couple, this wonderful people, but there was a problem. And here's the problem we're about to see. The problem is they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So here's what this problem is in the story. You've got Elizabeth and you've got Zechariah, and they've been married for a long time. In fact, later in the story, we're going to find out that they're described as having been in old age, which means they're probably in that culture, old age referred to about your 60s. They're in their 60s, which is probably older than a lot of your parents. They're in their 60s and they have not been able, it says, to conceive a child. They've wanted to be parents, they've wanted to have a kid, and yet they haven't been able to do it, presumably for decades. It could be 20, 30, 40 years of them having, trying to have a child. Them wanting a child and desiring a child and hoping for a child and expecting a child and that not happening. I know many of you maybe aren't in the space where that's even something that's on your mind, but I can promise you, maybe even for your parents at times in their life or people you know, this is a difficult and painful season. My my wife and I went through seasons of this as we were trying to have our kids and the Lord's blessed us with some children. But we went through seasons of months and months where we were hoping to be pregnant and found out we weren't. And then the next month, hoping to be pregnant and then found out we weren't. And that for us only lasted months. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, This has lasted probably about 40 years of them having the expectation that they were gonna be pregnant, but wait for this. Their experience was that they weren't pregnant. They had an expectation that was up here, but an experience of life that was down here. And what I wanna talk to you tonight about is this, that there's often a gap in our life. There's often a gap between your expectation and your experience. They expected to be pregnant. Their experience was they weren't getting pregnant. And tonight, I want to talk to you about that gap, that gap between your expectation and your experience. I think this plays out in our life in a thousand different ways, and I bet you some of you know exactly what it feels like to have expectations of life up here, but your experience is down here. For example, let me speak to you in the room if this describes you. Let me speak to you if you are single. Anyone single in the room? Anyone? Okay. okay. I, I, we got some enthusiasm earlier, but this was a little bit like, yes, yes, I am. I am single. Okay. Right? And so, so let's talk about this. Some of you are single, and some of you have been single for, like, forever. You've always been single. Some of you have been single more recent. Like, there's just a lot of different kinds of single people in the room. But for some of you who are single, you had this expectation that at this point in your high school career, you would be dating someone. Is this getting too personal? We're going to go there. You have this expectation you would be dating someone. But here you are single, and your expectation and your experience doesn't line up. There's a gap in between that. And it can be so painful. It can be so disorienting because you always thought, that you would be dating someone. You always thought that that would be your story in high school, that you would have a high school sweetheart and that hasn't worked out. I want you to notice the times in life there's a difference between your expectation and your experience. I want you to think about the difference between your expectation and experience when you're grieving a loss. Here's what I know for some of you. Some of you have been grieving a loss in the last year. You've just walked through something where you have lost someone you love, where someone you care about has passed away. Or maybe it's something as serious as your parents getting a divorce. Or maybe it's something a little less serious, but you've just walked through a breakup or relational damage. But in some ways, you expected life and relationships to go one way. And it's gone a different way. And you're living in that gap between your expectation and your experience. Some of you know what the gap's like when it comes to your waiting. You're waiting on something. For some of you, you're waiting on a college to get back to. You're waiting on a scholarship opportunity that you were so certain is going to come in but hasn't come in yet, and you're waiting to see what happens, and there's this gap. And you feel like you're constantly waiting, or you're waiting on a relationship to get better. You're waiting on something to happen in your life. And then finally, some of you experience the gap when you're starting something new. Can I just speak to you? I don't know everyone in the room, but I imagine some of you are new new, new, new to our area. You moved here recently. Maybe you're new to the area and you're experiencing where you were trying to meet friends and hoping things would go well, but your experience has created a gap. And you feel like it's just you're in the waiting. Things haven't worked out yet. Maybe that happens when you join a new small group. When you start anything new in this world, you have an expectation of how things are going to go. And sometimes the experience doesn't measure up. We live in the gap. Here's what I'm convinced of. All of us know what this gap is like when we think about this last year. Do, Do you remember this time last year what we were doing? If you were here with high school ministry, we weren't in this room, right? We weren't even in the big room. We were outside. Do you remember? It was like four degrees out there, and we were freezing, and we were out there. But we were out there, and we were thinking, by this time next year, things will be 100% back to normal. That's what we were talking about. That's what we were thinking. Our expectation was things would be back to normal. And are things back to normal? Absolutely not. And so our expectation and our experience, there's a gap between this. See, 2021 has been one of those gap years. And what's my point in all of this? I think every one of us knows what Elizabeth and Zachariah are experiencing. Where we wanted one thing, but life hasn't turned out the way we wanted it to be. But here's the good news of great joy that I want to speak to someone who will listen to me speak tonight. Someone who has ears to hear. I want you to hear this. This is the best news I could tell you. That our God does his best work in the gaps. In these gaps in life where you feel like life is not measuring up to your expectation, things are different than you thought they would be, God does his best work in those moments. And tonight I want to talk to you about that. Because tonight I want to put some hope inside of you. If you're just feeling this anxiety that life hasn't worked out the way you hoped it would, I want to show that to you. I'm not making this up. It's right here in the story as we continue that God does his best work in the gaps. Verse eight, It says, when one of Zechariah's division was on duty, And he was serving as the priest before God. He was chosen by lot to go in by the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So here's what happens. There's thousands of priests. This is is so strange, but work with me here. Imagine like a rally at your school. All the people at your school are together for this big rally. And you're all cheering And everyone's there, thousands of people. And I want you to imagine they reach their hand into like a jar with everyone's name in the school. And they pull out a name and it's your name. And you were chosen by random. This is how it works. When it says they cast lots, it's to choose someone randomly. And Zechariah, out of thousands of people, gets chosen. And what does he get to do? He gets to go into the temple of the Lord and meet with God and offer incense in the temple. He goes into the temple because he's chosen by random. And this is what it says happens in verse 10. It says, when the time came for the burning of the incense, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So what happens? He gets chosen by random to go into the temple. And because he goes into the temple, he encounters this angel who has something to say to him. And here's what occurs to me when I read this text. God had something to say to Zechariah. Therefore, him getting chosen by random may have seemed random to everyone there, including Zechariah. But it was absolutely not random to Zachariah. But like the point I want to make tonight is this, that what seems random to us is not random to God. God had something to say to Zachariah. And so something that seemed random or or, or like flipping a coin or just picking a number out of a hat was not random to God. He was doing it. He was moving on purpose. Can I remind some of you of this? That you are not an accident. That you're not here by mistake. I want you to know every part of your life is not random. It's not just like a cosmic mistake that you're here. Like, I want you to know the day you were born was not random. And this is so important right now. Do you know that you could have been born 10 years ago? Uh, 10 years ago, I guess. Uh, Let's say this. You could have been born 10 years before you were born. And here's what would have happened. You would have gone through high school and there would have been none of this pandemic stuff that we're dealing with, right? You would have gone through a normal high school experience. You could have been born 10 years from now when, Lord willing, you would have had a normal high school experience. But here's what God saw fit to do He saw fit for you, you specifically, to go through high school during this pandemic with all of this disruption and weird stuff. And sometimes it can feel so random, it feels unfair, it feels not right. Why don't I get a normal high school experience? And yet, here's what God does God knows exactly what He's doing in your life, it's not random. He knows exactly why he's having you go through this. And I'm not going to pretend to know the reason, but I know it's not random. I want you to know the day you were born is not random. Number two, your family of origin is not random. Like your parents, who you were born to, the siblings in your family, it's not random. Like God picked that. He decided that. He wanted that for you. And sometimes your sister drives you crazy, but God wanted you to have that sister. Sometimes your brother drives you insane, but God wanted you to have that brother to love Your parents, however they are, whatever they do, God gave you those parents. It's not random. The next is the place you live is not random. I know it's hard to get your head around this, but you could literally be born anywhere in the world. Any nation, any country, any continent, any town, any city, and yet God put you here for a reason. God put you in the proximity of this church for a reason. God put you around the friends you have for a reason. And then finally, your personality, spiritual gifts, interests, they're not random. Like how God puts you together, the things that make you laugh, the things that are interesting to you, the personality you have, the way you interact, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it's not random. It's all on purpose. And so what's my point in all of this? It seems so random to Zechariah that he got to go into the temple that day. But to God, it was not random. It was all part of a plan. And here's what I want someone to be convinced of today. I want you to be convinced that the gap you're experiencing right now is not random. This gap This tension, this anxiety, this waiting that you're in is not random. Like, can I just, just every eye in the room on me right now. Can someone just hear me when I say that God knows exactly what he's doing in your life? God knows exactly what he's doing in your life. He sits on the throne of heaven. He governs all things. He is in charge of all things, and he has not slipped off to one side or the other. He's not scared. He's not surprised. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows exactly what problems you're facing. He knows what's happening in your family. He knows what's happening with your friends. He knows what's going on at school right now. He knows what you're dealing with temptation-wise. He knows your insecurities. He knows everything, and it's not random. God is working all of these things for your good and for his glory. And again, if you can stop seeing the world as this random series of events, but rather knowing that everything that happens in your life, God is pulling together for a reason, even if I don't know that reason, even if you don't know that reason, to know it is not random. Verse 12 goes on this way. It says, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Which, by the way, every time you encounter an angel in the Bible, people want to fall down and die because they're terrified, okay? Angels in paintings are always like cute and sweet and little babies. Not so in the Bible. Every time they show up in the Bible, people are like, we're going to die. This is the end, right? Okay. Verse 13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. I just think this is one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. Elizabeth, this woman who couldn't get pregnant, and Zachariah, the husband of this woman who couldn't get pregnant, have been praying for 40 years that God would bring them a child over and over and over again, not being hurt. And then the angel of the Lord shows up. And you know what he says? First words, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. God has been listening all along. God has not been ignoring you. Someone needs to hear this tonight. Your prayer is being heard by God. The God of the universe is listening to you when you pray. He's not ignoring you. He's not too busy. He's not bothered by your prayer. He hears you. He listens. And then what's even cooler than that is that because Zechariah prayed, God is delivering a child. Like notice it doesn't say, I was going to give you one all along. He says, you're going to have a son. And the reason is because your prayers have been heard. And now I'm going to act. And perhaps for someone tonight who's walking in the midst of this gap season where things feel so um, insecure, uncertain. You're not sure what happens yet. We're not sure what's going to happen next. Things in life just feel kind of in flux. Perhaps you just need to hear these three words tonight about prayer can I just remind someone tonight that prayer changes reality? It changes reality itself. Like prayer is not just an exercise where we call out to God, feel better on the inside about ourselves and then move about our day. Prayer is not just us calling out to God and then we feel like, okay, well, at least we gave it to God and then we move along. No, prayer in the Bible changes reality. God hears the prayers of his people and responds by changing things. And this is so beautiful. This couple that's always wanted a baby cries out to God, And prayer changes reality. Can I just give you an encouragement if you're in the gap right now? And again, maybe you're not. Maybe I'm talking about being in the gap between your expectations of life and your experience. Maybe I'm talking about uh, kind of having this sense of like things aren't right in this world. Maybe you're not in that at all. But if you are, can I just give you this encouragement? When you're in the gap, prayer should be your first reaction rather than your last resort. Prayer should be your first reaction rather than your last resort. I remember when I was in college, it was my sophomore year of college, and I was kind of going through a bumpy season, kind of that gap season, where my expectations of life was here, and my experience was here. And the reason I remember this season so well, it's not like a vague memory, it's a really sharp memory, is because I did three things in that season, I remember. I journaled a ton. So I have journals in my office here at the church, where I wrote about all the things going on, and all the tensions, and all the things I was trying to work out, I journaled about it. I remember talking to friends about it all the time. I was telling them what I was going through and asking for their advice and talking it through with them. And then I remember I did the thing we were all famous for. Go ahead and raise your hand if you ever do this. Maybe I'm alone in the room, but I hope I'm not. Does anyone else here ever overthink everything? Anyone else? Okay, okay, cool. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. That's great. Some of you are even overthinking, like, if I raise my hand, are people gonna think, you know, like, you're doing that right now. But I remember I journaled about it. I talked to my friends about it. I overthought it. You know what's really shameful about that season for me? I don't remember spending a ton of time on my face before God about it. I don't remember fasting about it, praying about it. I don't remember just seeking out time to pray and cry out to the Lord about that thing that was going on in my heart and in my life and in my relationships at that time. And I say this because I look back and here's what was true for me in that moment. It's not true in every moment, but in that moment, prayer was my last resort, not my first reaction. And that's not what I want from me and hear me. That's not what I want for you. If you're in this season where things are just kind of weird right now, can I encourage you to be someone who prays first right away? Like here's what you know is gonna happen if you've been to HSM a bunch. We'll close out this sermon. We'll go into a time of singing at the end, some worship, and then we'll invite you to the prayer wall. Can I encourage you, if this has hit a nerve tonight and you're going, I'm in that gap season where things just don't seem right right now in life and my expectations aren't being met, can I encourage you that tonight, even if you've never done it before, go to the prayer wall and say, God, I just need to deal with this and go to you? because here's what I know about you. If you're overthinking things, do you know what overthinking changes? Nothing, right? Overthinking doesn't change reality. When you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, if this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and then you think about every possible scenario and then you're like, okay, but the scenario I haven't thought about it, if this happens, then this happens, and then aliens land and take over the world, right? Like you just kind of throw everything in there. Overthinking changes nothing. Overthinking doesn't change reality. Prayer changes reality. And you know what the only difference is between overthinking and prayer? It's who you direct it to. That's the only difference. If you're sitting up in bed at night and it's keeping you awake and you're thinking and thinking and thinking and it's just going through your head, you can turn that up toward God. So rather than going, here's what could happen and here's what could happen, you just go, God, this could happen and this could happen and God, I'm just anxious about this and I'm worried about this and I'm single and I'm afraid I'll always be single and and I'm in pain and I'm afraid I'm always gonna be in pain and I have depression and I'm afraid I'm always gonna be in depression. Like you just throw it up to God. You turn your attention toward him because overthinking changes nothing but prayer changes reality. I want to call you toward prayer in this season. I want to call you to figure out what it means to be a man or woman of God who prays like never before when you are in the gap. It goes on this way in verse 15. It says he, it's describing the baby who's going to be born, is never to take wine or fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I, I love how sensitive Zechariah is here to his wife. He doesn't say, I'm an old man, and she's an old woman, right? He goes, I'm an old man, and she's, you know, like well along in years. Like, I just love this. Okay, not funny to you. Funny to me. Anyway. Anyway. But but here's what he does. He goes, listen, I'm old. My wife is old. This is where I said they're probably in their 60s. This phrase here is probably indicating someone who's kind of in that season of life. I'm an old man. My wife, she's well along in years. And then he asks a very human question. Do you see the question there? How can I be sure of this? And here's what I want you to know. That's a very human question. How can I be sure that this season I'm in isn't going to last forever? How can I be sure that things are going to get better? How can I be sure that the thing I'm nervous about isn't going to come true? How can I be sure that the thing I'm anxious about isn't going to materialize? How can I be sure? And can I give you a really crummy answer? You can't. You can't. Some of you, what you want in life is to be sure about everything that's going to happen next. And if there's one thing you can be sure about, it's that you can't be sure about anything. You can't be sure about what's going to happen in the circumstances of your life. You can't be sure about what other people are going to do. You can't be sure about what's going to happen in your family or with your friendships or in your school. And you certainly can't be sure, like we've all learned this, about what goes on in our nation, in our world, or with this pandemic. You just can't be sure. Can you listen to me when I tell you the one thing you can be sure about? You can be sure that if the God of the universe promises something to you, it's going to come true. That's what you can be sure about. There's an angel of the Lord who promises something to Zachariah. says, you and your wife are going to have a baby. And when he makes a promise, he keeps the promise. He's a promise maker, and he's a promise keeper. And my desire for you is to know what the God of the universe has to promise you. Because you can't be sure of everything in this life. You can't be sure of what others will do, of the circumstances of the world, of what goes on in your family. You can't be sure of that. But you can be sure of what God has to say to you in his promises. But then here's the devastating thing. There are countless millions of people who call themselves Christians who have no idea what God has promised them. And the reason they have no idea what God has promised them, they have no clue what the promises of God are, is because they do not read the word of God. And I need you to know that if you do not know, you will not know the promises of God if you do not read the word of God. You cannot know the promises of God. Like I need you to know the promises of God aren't something you just have to kind of sense inside your soul. It's not something you find on top of a mountaintop. It's not even that something that God says to you in prayer. The promises of God are written down in the Bible. And if you do not read your Bible, you will not know what those promises are. Or even worse, you'll start to believe that God promised things he never promised to you. Like, can I just break some news to you? God never promised that you would get married. I think a lot of you will get married. It'll be awesome. I'd love to come to your wedding. it will be blessed. But listen, God never promised that's gonna happen for you. God never promised you'll be rich. God never promised that you'll be healthy and disease will never take from you everything, including and up to your life. Like he never promises that everything in life is gonna work out perfectly and everything's gonna be good if you just don't trust, if you trust him. But I need you to know what God does promise. He promises that he will meet every one of your needs through his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises that he'll take your sin, your wickedness, the bad things you've done, and remove them as far as the East is from the West. Like there are hundreds of promises in scripture and you'll never know what they are unless you read the Bible. And so here's my question for you tonight. I'll make it really practical. We're here in December in the 12th month in the final month of 2021. Here's the question for you tonight. What is your 2022 Bible reading plan? Have you thought that through yet? Have you thought through what your 2022 Bible reading plan is gonna be? And and I don't know, there's a million different ways you could do a Bible reading plan. There's a million different things you could do, but here's what I've learned. The only people who actually read the Bible consistently are the people who have a plan. People who are just like, whenever I feel motivated, I'll do the lucky flip. And you're like, okay, today, Leviticus. And you're like, okay, all right, next day, Matthew. And you're just kind of like randomly flip through the Bible. That never works. Like, listen, I know plenty of people who have a Bible reading plan and never actually read the Bible. So it's no guarantee. But I've never met someone who reads the Bible every single day who doesn't have a plan on what they're going to do. And if you're like, Brian, I don't even know where to get a Bible reading plan. I have a great website for you. Write this down, all right? I'll spell it for you. G-O-O. G-L-E dot com. (laughs) That was like like a two out of ten funny. I get that. Okay. But, But listen to me. Go to Google. Type in Bible reading plan. You will find literally billions of them. And then you can print out one that looks appealing to you. Listen to me. Eyes right here. Eyes right here. If you've never really read the Bible before, don't do the Bible reading plan that has you reading like the whole Bible in six months. You'll never get it done. And if you have read the Bible before, don't read the Bible reading plan that's like one verse a day. You can do more than that. So pick one that's at your level, but get into it and have a plan for 2022. Because if you don't know the word of God, you'll never know the promises of God. And there are promises of God for you as we go into 2022. And I want to promise you. I want to promise you that as you get to know the promises of God, your circumstances may not change. Like I'm just not here to tell you if you just read the word of God and trust him, everything will be better. But I am here to tell you that you will start to have a confidence in who God is, right? Right in the midst of what you're going through. Uh, I want to show you how the story continues in verse 19. It says, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak this to you, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were still waiting outside for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. So this is kind of this mysterious part of the story, right? The angel's like, hey, you... And your wife, you're going to have a baby. And he's like, uh, we're super old. And he's like, Mr. Angel guy, I don't mean to give you a birds and the bees lesson, but like, I'm not sure that's going to happen because we're old. And then the angel looks at him and says, you know what? Because you doubted my words, he puts like a punishment on him, but it's like a really weird Bible punishment, right? It's not like lightning falls from the sky. It's not like locusts swarm in. He's like, Pfft. and Zacharias is like, oh, no. right? He gets, he can't speak. This is the punishment. The punishment, he's like, right? He can't talk until it takes place. And that's what we see here in the scriptures. And at some level, like there's this punishment or there's this like rebuke of you need to listen to God and believe what he says. But here's what I've learned over the years. Like I think on some level, this isn't just a punishment, but it's actually a posture that the angel is trying to put Zechariah in. See, so here's what happens when you can't speak. Do you know what happens when you can't speak? You end up listening better. You ever notice that? If you ever lost your voice, if you've ever been sick, or you ever just like screamed too much at camp and you can't speak, you end up listening a lot better. And here's what I'm convinced of. What Zachariah is being forced to model for us here is a posture that we should have if we live in the gap. Again, if this is you or you just kind of feeling this tension, you're in the waiting, things don't seem right in this world, can I encourage you this? That in the gap, I want you to choose two things. I want you to choose silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Let's start with silence. My concern for some of you is that you have built your life in such a way where you are never actually quiet and listening. So some of you will leave church here tonight where there's music playing and there's friends and you'll get in your car and you'll put on music. Or you'll get in your parents' car and you'll put on music. And music will be playing and then you'll head back home and you'll turn on the TV. And then once the TV, uh, once it's time for bedtime, you'll shut off the TV and you'll turn on white noise in your room or something like that or some music so you can fall asleep. Then you'll wake up in the morning and you'll turn on music and then you'll go out to school and you'll have something in your ears or you'll be talking to someone and you just kind of do this perpetual cycle where you're always talking to someone, always playing music, always having something in your ears, always having something on your phone or your TV, always watching something, always absorbing so that you never have to deal with the anxiety inside of yourself. And what I want for you in this season is to choose silence from time to time. I don't mean like you go off to a monastery and like never speak again. I just mean, what if on the drive home tonight, a couple of minutes on the drive home, if you're alone, you just, pl- you play nothing. What if for the whole month of December, you just decided everywhere you drive, you're just going to drive in silence. What if you decided when you're just kind of walking around the house doing things, you're not going to have your headphones in constantly. You're not going to have your Air- AirPods in. You're not going to be constantly putting input into your ears. You're just going to be in silence. See, I'm convinced that for some of you, you use noise and other people in your life to not have to deal with the real issues going on inside of your heart. So that's number one, you choose silence. So you can listen to God, so you can be in his presence, so you can just kind of be at peace with the world and not constantly worked up. And then what's the second one up there? We want to choose solitude. I want you to understand, solitude is not the same as loneliness. Loneliness is something I never want you to choose. Solitude is something I want you to choose often. Loneliness means I have no friends, I have no community, I have no people around me. Solitude is I have people, I have friends, people I love that are built into my life, and yet from time to time I step away from that. So that I can be alone, or I step away from the usual rhythm of my life so I can get clear on what God wants for my life and my heart. Loneliness is a terrible thing. Solitude, solitude's a gift that some of you leave on the table. And can I give you the best thing? Like, if you are in this season right now where you are disappointed in life, you have your expectations and your experience and there's a gap, things have not worked out the way you wanted them to be, and you feel in this season of waiting, I want to give you one thing you can do to experience solitude like no other. You want to know what it is? Real simple. I want you to sign up for winter camp at Hume Lake. And you might go like, solitude, winter camp, there's hundreds, thousands of people there. I know. But again, solitude isn't about being alone necessarily. Solitude is about stepping out of the normal rhythms and patterns of your life to say, God, what do you have for me? And here's what I'm convinced of. Some of you won't believe me but this is true. The God of the universe wants to meet with you on that mountain. He does. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what he's going to do. But I think for some of you, the most important thing in your life right now is to carve out a time in the coming month in January, next month, where you can get alone with the God of the universe, where you can get up there. Not because God's at Hume and not there. It's not like God lives up at Hume and not here. No, no. But when you choose solitude, God does remarkable and miraculous things in your life. I want to encourage you in this season to choose silence, choose solitude, and watch what God does with that. Verse 23. This is when the time of his service was completed. He returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months and rela- remained in seclusion. So, So this is, The climax of the story, right? Like Elizabeth is actually pregnant. They've been praying for 40 years that she would be pregnant. And suddenly she's like, hey, I'm pregnant. It's happening. I'm finally going to have a baby. And what's so remarkable about this part of the story is they've had this whole season of decades of their life where they've been not having a child and praying and asking God, make us parents, give us a child. Please allow us to have this. And finally, for the first time in 40 years, They're out of that season. They're parents. They're pregnant. They're expecting a son. And isn't it wild how quickly a season of your life can just become a story that you tell now? The season they were going through of they're not pregnant and they want to be pregnant and they're desperate to be pregnant and they so badly want that is now just a story that they're telling. And can I tell you the same is actually true for you? That one day the season you're in will just be a story you tell. And it'll actually be a really short story. So here's what I want you to know. One day high school will be a story you just tell about your life. Uh, like if you asked me to describe high school, so I'm 33 years old, okay? If you asked me as a 33 year old to describe high school, I'd be like, oh, uh, I played football. I was really involved with church. And I said, I read a lot of books, but I didn't actually read a lot of books. I got by with like a B plus grade average. Like that would be high school for me. I just did that in like 15 seconds. That was four years of my life. 15 seconds. And here's why I know this is true for you. You would do the same thing if I said, hey, describe seventh grade for me. You'd be like, it was awkward and it was uncomfortable. I ain't cried a lot. You know, like that's it. You would just say that and like, boom, that was all whole year of your life and now it's just a story you tell. And here's what I want you to know. This season you're in right now. I don't know how hard it is. I don't know how difficult it is. I don't know what kind of anxiety or frustration or pain. One day will just be a story that you tell. That's all it's gonna be because you'll be in a new season of life. And here's the question for you. What kind of story do you want to tell about the season you're currently in? What kind of story do you want to tell? There's a lot of things you can't control about the story. But you can control whether this is a season uh, where you tell the story and you're like, you know what? I was bitter. I was angry. I was jealous. I was mean. I, I went into my worst self. I went into my worst sins. I hung out with the wrong people. I made all kinds of bad Like You can tell a story that's really disastrous. Or you can say, you know what? Things were hard and they were difficult and things were exploding inside of my family and things weren't right in my world. But you know, what? I walked by faith. I fell in love with Jesus like never before. I started reading the Bible. I was generous with people. I was kind with people. I showed up in their worst moments. I served them. I loved them. I helped them. Like You could tell a story of such beauty during this time. See, there will come a day where you tell the story of high school and it will be very, very, very short story. You won't spend forever talking about it. And you do get to tell. You, get, you do have input. You do get to decide how that story is told. Again, I want you to think about the season you're in and recognize that it's going to be a story sooner than you think. And you do get to tell that story. Here's how the, this story we're reading tonight ends. Verse 25, this is Elizabeth saying, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So here's Elizabeth, and she's worshiping. Like in other words, she's out of the season where she's childless, but she doesn't go, well, finally we got pregnant because we just endured long enough. No, she said, the Lord has done this for me. He has shown me his favor. In other words, she recognizes this was all about God and all in his hands in the first place. And here's what's so remarkable about the story. This story doesn't end with Elizabeth being pregnant. Actually, we get to see how the story continues on because this old lady, Elizabeth, is pregnant and she's going to have a son and the son's name is John. And John is going to be known, if you know the Bible at all, as John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, the one who baptizes Jesus. And a little into her pregnancy, she learns that a family member of hers is also pregnant, and she gets together with her. And that family member has a name, and that name is a very famous name that you know in this season. Her name's Mary. Mary is also pregnant. And she's pregnant with a baby, and that baby is going to be called Jesus. And then there's this wild story. I'll I'll never get over this. I love this. These two pregnant ladies... Elizabeth, who's a little bit older, and Mary, who's a little bit younger, they get together. And these two pregnant ladies are hanging out and they know each other and they're like, we're both pregnant at the same time. Who would have thought this is crazy? And then here's what happens. They get together. And here's what it says in Luke 1:41, when they see each other. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb and Elizabeth, or I'm sorry, um, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Elizabeth with this baby John in her womb sees Mary with the baby Jesus in her womb. And Mary's like, hey, Elizabeth, how are you doing? And John the Baptist leaps for joy in her womb. And it says they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you one of the craziest things about the Christmas story that you probably haven't thought of? The first, the very first individual to recognize how special Jesus was, was a baby who hadn't been born yet. Isn't that crazy? The baby inside Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy at the sight of Jesus. But then both of those babies will be born. And you know what happens for the next 30 years? Almost nothing. Almost nothing. John is never heard of. Jesus is barely heard of. And then they both grow up. And again, they're around the same age. And in their 30s, John is out at the river and he's baptizing people. He's baptizing people for the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And then he sees Jesus walking. And there's this moment in John 1 where he points to Jesus and says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he points to Jesus. And John, who in the womb was the first to recognize Jesus, becomes the first to announce Jesus to the entire world. He introduces Jesus to the world. What a remarkable series of events Elizabeth gets pregnant. Her child in her womb recognizes Jesus in the womb and then is the one to introduce Jesus to the world. But can I tell you something crazy? What would have happened if Elizabeth had gotten pregnant 30 years before that? Would her child in the womb have recognized Jesus in the womb? No, because he wouldn't have been in the womb when Jesus was in the womb. Would her child have been the one to introduce Jesus to the world? Of course not, because Jesus would have been part of the next generation after her child. So in other words, this delay of 30, 40 years that they had to go through of waiting for a child wasn't this setback that they thought it was. It was so painful in the time, but it was actually the set up to what God wanted to do through their child to introduce the Messiah, the Savior, to the world. And here's the question I want to close with tonight for all of you. Well, what if the gap you're experiencing right now, this season you're going through, it is not a setback, but rather a set up to the greatest thing that God wants to do in your life? what if that thing you're going through right now is not this thing that's gonna ruin your life and take you out and cause you pain and misery forever, but what if God is about to do something spectacular through your life, that he is taking that difference between your expectation and your experience of this world. He's taking that gap and he's gonna do something spectacular in your life. See, this is what we, the people of God, wanna think about, that there's this gap that exists for all of us and yet God wants to work in the midst of that. See, as our band comes up, I want to remind you of this simple but important fact. All of us live in a gap right now. The gap between Jesus' first coming, his first advent, and his second coming, his second advent. Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem, and there is coming a day where Jesus Christ will return on a white horse in glory to judge the living and the dead. And all of us live in between that. And there's times where we might think, Jesus, come back. Make things better. End the pain in the world, the suffering in the world, the death and the pain and the cancer and divorce and heartache and pandemics and genocide and depression. God, there's so much going on. It seems like a setback. And yet what if it's just God set up to show us his splendor and his mercy and his glory for all of eternity? I just need to speak this hope into someone tonight. God is not done with you. We just sang that before the sermon, right? I still believe you're working all things for good. Can I tell you tonight? That's not true for someone else in this room. It's true for you. And I want you to believe that. I want you to know that. And I want you to step out in hope and faith this Christmas as you follow after Jesus. Let's pray. Um, and as I go to prayer, would you just um, close your eyes right now and bow your heads? Um, I want to ask this question um, as we go into tonight, uh, as we go into this last time of worship. Yeah. I've been talking tonight about a gap in this season of life where things just don't feel right. The world doesn't feel right. There's this difference between your expectation of life and what you're actually experiencing. And I just want to pray for you if that's you tonight. So every eye is closed, every head is bowed. If you're just saying, hey, Brian, right now I'm going through a gap. Things aren't the way they should be in my life, in my family, in my world. I'm just experiencing this anxiety, this pain right now. Would you just have the courage to nod your head right now? Just right where you're at, all across this room. I see you, I care, I love you, I've been there. I wanna pray for you right now. And then once I say amen, let's just stand and sing and seek after God. We'll go to the prayer wall and cry out to him. We'll fall on our knees, we'll cry out to heaven and ask that God would come heal. So Father in heaven, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the opportunity to be with these men and women. I pray you would bless those who are in the gap right now. Fill them with hope and confidence that you are doing something. You've not stopped working. You've not let them go. You know exactly what you're doing. God, I pray for a young lady here who just feels so lost right now that you would step in and remind her before she leaves this building tonight that you are there, you are present, you are guiding her. I pray for the young man right now who feels like everything's so broken in his life and so lost. Lost right now, God, I pray that before he leaves tonight, he would know that you are the great physician, the great healer, the one who binds up his wounds and gives him a new hope and a new life. So God, I pray tonight as we worship you that the resounding echo of our praise from this place would echo in heaven and that you would hear our prayer and answer. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said... Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this, don't forget to subscribe and also check out past episodes. For more content from Calvary HSM or to connect with us, visit us on Instagram at calvaryhsm805. Go live and love like Jesus.